hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 2, 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, he was going through the green fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of the God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made from humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today, especially if you're our guest, as Jeff said. Uh, this is my first time to experience the um, homecoming buffet, and it, it was pretty good. Um, I, I am new here, and you may not know me very well, but I, on a scale of one to ten of extroversion and introversion, I'm like a nine and a half. And I felt really bad for Jeff as he was uh, doing the rehearsal during the, the gathering because people kept coming down to him to talk to him. They haven't seen him in a while. And, and Jeff would jump off the platform and greet them and give them a great big hug and want to talk and say, oh, I'm sorry, I just have to, I have to go back. I, and he would just keep going back and forth. Meanwhile, I'm stuck back there, desperately wishing I had an excuse to leave. <laughs> and so I'm sorry, Jeff, that you didn't get to experience it the same way. I kind of wish I did. Um, if, if you're a guest with us, we're going through the book of Mark, as you've heard, and uh, we're at this interesting spot in the book of Mark. Up, up until this point, Jesus has had five miracles and then five controversies. And if we're not careful as we look at what Jesus is doing in these last five stories, it looks like he's picking a fight. It looks like he is intentionally entering into opportunities and, and in places where he is going to get into conflict with scribes, uh, Pharisees, Herodians, the disciples of John. But I don't think that's what Mark is trying to do right now. I think what Mark is trying to do in these five controversy stories is to play out in narrative what Matthew does in teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it was said, but I say to you. You've heard it was said, but I say to you. You think you know what the law is, but let me tell you what it really is. And I think that's what Mark is doing with these stories. You think you understand how to live in, in, in light of God, following him faithfully. 
but I'm not certain you get it. And in fact, I'm going to put myself in the place that demonstrates what that difference really looks like. And we get to choose. Do we want to look like Jesus or not? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for uh, this wonderful morning. We're grateful to be gathered. Father, I am grateful for my brothers and sisters uh, as we lifted our voices in praise to you this morning. I'm grateful that we got to gather around the table to offer our gratitude for the sacrifice of your son Jesus, to remember him, to offer our prayers to you. And Father, now as we turn ourselves to your word, I pray that you give us the openness to hear what your son Jesus has to say again. Father, open our hearts and our minds. Fill this place with your spirit and pour through me the gift of preaching that I may speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. Have you ever uh, kept the letter of the law but missed the intent? You did what was right but you, you didn't do it right. I was watching this movie when I was a kid. It was like, a, it was like an 80s rom-com, and I can't remember what the movie was about, but there was all these stories of, uh, of, of couples, and I think it was supposed to be a comedy, but it wasn't, it wasn't funny. At least this story wasn't very funny. The, the first date was uh, the woman and the man, and the, and, and the woman was explaining to this guy, look, uh, I want to enter into a relationship, but I want it to be fair. I want it to be equal. And so I'm going to pay for half of this date uh, today. And, and the guy was like, okay. And then it fast forwarded later in the movie, about 35 minutes later, this, the, their two are now a couple, they're married, and, and the guy is, he's getting out some ice cream, they're watching a show together, he's getting out some ice cream, and he puts it in a bowl, and he puts the lid back on the ice cream, and as he puts the ice cream back into the freezer, he takes out a pen, and he writes down something on the freezer. And you realize what he's writing down is how much ice cream he took out so that they can split it fair. And you, you imagine what has happened in this couple's life. They decided they're going to split the rent 50-50. They're going to split the utilities 50-50. They're going to split the food as much as they eat. And the end of this romantic comedy is this couple is miserable. They tried to do everything equally. They tried to do everything fair. And it killed the passion and the love in their relationship. This story on its surface level looks like Jesus is going to talk about Sabbath and healing. But I think there's something more there. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are in the Bible twice? Yeah, they're in Exodus and they're in Deuteronomy. And that's fascinating to me because not only are they in there twice, but they're different. Now, you would think uh, something as important as the Ten Commandments, that we would make sure that they're the same, but they're not. There's two places where there's difference, and you can look up the other one at home today, but I want to highlight how each uh, version, the Exodus version and the Deuteronomy, uh, deal with the Sabbath. In Exodus, 
when the commandment is that you remember the Sabbath, it's because God created the heavens and earth on the six days and rested on the seventh. God creates this holy rhythm of what life should look like. Even God himself beholds to it. He works and rests, works and rests, and so we should too. But you turn the page over to Deuteronomy and you realize it's different. The command is still there to keep the Sabbath, but the reason why you keep the Sabbath is different. It's because you were slaves in Egypt. And because you were slaves and you never got a break and you only got to work, you should be able to take a break. So honor the Sabbath. And not only you, by the way, but your entire household. Everyone in your house should take a break. Even the slaves and the animals among you should take a break. Because the economy, your effort, isn't your only value. So the disciples are walking through a grain field and they're, they're plucking grain and eating it. And, and this is okay, it's not their grain field, but it's okay according to the law. You could go through someone else's field, you could take grain, and as long as you didn't use hand tools to cut things off, that would be fine. And this makes total sense to me because where uh, people have fruit trees everywhere. And there's like a rule in my neighborhood where I lived that you could take fruit from somebody else's front yard. Like that was okay. In fact, we, we had planted a, a peach tree and a lime tree in our front yard. And one day somebody dinged on the doorbell and said, hey, you have a lot of peaches. Can I have some? And I wanted to be generous and they were delicious peaches. And I said, sure, take the peaches. And then I look out the window about 10 minutes later, and, and this person has two bags, two sacks of my peaches, and she's walking off, and I was about to go after her. That's not cool. You don't take two bags of peaches. You just take what you should carry. That's, that's the rule. I mean, the caveat of that is if you have moldy fruit in your lawn because you aren't cleaning up after yourself, anybody can take whatever they want. It's free game then, because you obviously don't take care of your peaches. But so this story makes sense to me. What the disciples are doing, they're not, they're not doing anything wrong. It's just that it's the Sabbath. The process, you, you pluck some grain and then you roll it in your hands to get the chaff away so that you can eat it. And this is work. And the Pharisees say, wait a minute. What are your disciples doing? And I want to point out that the Pharisees are there. It's not like the Pharisees are spying on Jesus and the disciples following them, trying to wait for them to make mistakes so they can accuse him. The Pharisees are following Jesus like disciples. They may have even been disciples. And they have a problem with what they're doing because they're not keeping the law. This isn't a fight against some sort of evil enemy. This is a conversation that's happening within the context of a family. But we all know those family fights are sometimes the worst. And so Jesus responds with the story of David. And that's a safe move going to David, Israel's greatest king. If David has done this as a type of case law, it's pretty tough to argue with that. And he could have picked a, a story that was a little less problematic, but it fits so he can prove his point. The story that Mark references is that 
in the, in the life of David is that God's presence has left Saul. David has been anointed king, but he's not yet enthroned. He's kind of in the in-between. And this story happens right after the story of, of Jonathan sending David away, where he shoots the arrows out. He tells his friend, it's not safe for you in the, in the palace anymore. Saul is out to get you. And there's that moment where Jonathan says, look, I know my father is out to get you, but please remember my family as you ascend to the throne. And so David is kind of on the lamb. He's, he's on the run and he goes to see the priest at Nob and, and seemingly, at least if you read the story carefully, it looks a lot like David has lies to the priest. He says he's on a secret mission. He says he has men and he says that they are hungry. And so the priest gives him the consecrated bread. That's the bread that's for God. It's the bread that God would eat. And he gives him a sword. Now the sword, David could probably argue that's his sword anyway. It used to belong to Goliath. But this story is complicated. And regardless of that, if David and his followers could eat the consecrated bread, Jesus argues, how much more could I and my followers eat a little grain on the Sabbath? Well, yeah, says the Pharisees, but that was David. You know, that was Israel's greatest king. You know, that was the high point of our political and spiritual power. And yeah, so David could do it. And, and Jesus, well, you are, wait a minute, who are you again? Who is this Jesus? In the very next scene, Jesus is back in the synagogue and he sees a man with a withered hand. And have no doubt, this is a trap. It's a human trap laid in wait uh, in the synagogue on the Pharisee's turf. And you notice in that story, no one talks but Jesus. Everyone else is silent. They're watching. You could almost imagine just waiting to see what he'll do so that they can catch him. Because if his disciples are willing to eat on the Sabbath, maybe Jesus is willing to work too. And Jesus catches the room and he asks a question. Is it lawful to do what is good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill it? And what we have to realize here is that Jesus is, what he's doing is he's pitting two parts of the law against each other. One, the command, the command in the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath the other, to do what's right. And I think the tension that Jesus is talking there is, is kind of like E-flat. Is E-flat the right note? Or is it the wrong note? Well, if you know anything about music, your answer is, it depends. I had a friend in, in California, and he claimed to have perfect pitch. And, uh, and so I was testing him one day, because I didn't sure I was believing him, so I all right, what's that one? He'd say, G. Yep, he was right. What's that one? He'd say, C. He was right. I said, what's that one? He said, A flat. I said, nope, that's G sharp. <laughs> Is E flat the wrong note? Well, I mean, it depends.
You see what I'm saying? How we determine what's the right note and the right song in the right context of our lives requires wisdom. It requires wisdom from God. There's the command to rest versus Moses' final address in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Either you are going to do good or you're going to do evil. Either you have the ability to choose. Either way, you have the ability to choose what you will do. So what is better in this situation? To choose to heal or not, even if it's on the Sabbath? And for most of us, this answer is kind of like, well, duh. This isn't a hard question for us. Of course it's better to heal. Who cares if you do a little bit on the work of the Sabbath, if you can bring about so much good in someone else's life? Of course. But I think we're forgetting what this means in the first century. Think about what Sabbath means to Jews. The story of Israel is the story that begins on some level with David becoming the first king and, 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 and the greatest in terms of political and spiritual power in a lot of ways and influence. This is the high moment in Israel's life. Every king after David fails to follow God faithfully. They either make foreign alliances with foreign powers. They bow down to foreign gods. They put uh, temples in Jerusalem that don't belong there. Each one of them in their own way fails to measure the mark of what it means to be a king in Israel. And so God eventually raises up prophet after prophet after prophet to call his people back to him, to bring his people back to him. Prophet after prophet after prophet and their words fall on deaf ears because Israel does not listen. And so God elects to raise up Assyria in Babylon. And the people of God are brought back into slavery. And you could argue the exile in Babylon is, is the worst time in Israel's life in terms of political and spiritual dominance and power. They're slaves again. But on the other hand, in the exile, they find God again. And that changes everything. They're forced to ask themselves the question, how did we get here? How do we know that we matter? What does this mean? And the Old Testament as we know it begins to be compiled during the exile. That's where it begins to form. Like These are our texts. This is the reason we got here. And this is our path forward. And somehow, if we're lucky, if we can be faithful to God, if we can follow him, maybe we'll find ourselves in relationship with God again as well. But the hard thing about living in Babylon is that you don't have access to the temple anymore. You can't make the sacrifices that God commands. You don't have access to Jerusalem anymore. All of the ways that were given to you to how to follow God aren't an option except for the law. And the two ways that you can make yourself distinct from the nations around you and the Babylon, uh, the Babylon empire that controls you is what you eat and what you do on the Sabbath. And so it's not such an easy question that Jesus poses to those first century ears. Which is more important? To honor God in historically the only way that we know we are able to do or to heal. The Pharisees cannot argue with Jesus. And for those in their hearts who are looking to harm and kill they immediately leave and notice the irony here, begin their work on the Sabbath to plot and scheme with the Herodians to kill Jesus. And Jesus, once and future king, anointed by God in the Jordan River, yet not enthroned, not yet enthroned, becomes like David, a fugitive criminal in his own commonwealth. 
This isn't about rule keeping. It's about relationship. For humanity was not created for the Sabbath rule keeping, but Sabbath rule keeping was made for humanity. And it's almost if in our own time, we have swung the pendulum past that healthy middle to the other side. I wonder if Jesus would have the same comment about Sabbath keeping if he and his disciples were making a way here today. This text isn't about rule keeping, it's about something more. In Jesus' time, keeping the Sabbath was such a powerful idol in the lives of the people that it meant people should go hungry and a man with a withered hand should remain lame. But Jesus reminds us that our lives are meant for God, not for getting or for spending. What Jesus threatens in our lives is the values that say enough money and enough security and enough accumulation and enough of the right people in the right offices will give us life. None of those things will give us life. Only Jesus can. And that's what Sabbath does. It reminds us we are more than automatons to make money, to work and spend. You are more than a walking pile of school debt that must be paid down. And where are the spaces in your life that you have made divine, that Jesus has shaped and cultivated? Google had this fascinating habit that began very early on in the corporation. They called it the 20% rule. For four days out of the week, you were supposed to do your job description. But on the fifth day of the week, you could spend 20% of your time pursuing whatever other interest you might have as long as it serves the company and serves your own personal development. You were allowed to do that. It was a fascinating rule that, that never really happened in corporations before. It was kind of a myth, to be honest with you. But that time, that 20% time where you could just chase whatever you wanted to, allowed for different parts of the uh, organization to talk with one another. They were siloed, but in that 20% time, they could work together. It allowed for people to have long-range visions and, and dreams about what really matters. It gave them time and space to think about some of that stuff. And it created some of the most uh, profit-creating parts of Google. Gmail was created out of that 20% time. AdSense, which is Google's number one uh, profits uh, revenue stream, was created out of that time. And I, and I say it's, it's kind of a myth because it was never just 20%, it was 120%. Nobody in Silicon Valley can only work 40 hours a week. Everyone works way more than that. And the attempt to be creative, they ruin their work-life balance. But when there is time and space for you to be creative, time and space for you to rest and just to think and to dream dreams, God can do big things. Rules guide and inform relationships, but they cannot replace them. We can't create fairness in what God does. When I was a kid, I, my, my favorite thing in the world to do was go to McDonald's. Uh, Happy Meals were, were amazing. Um, let's be honest, McDonald's still is. I just don't eat there anymore. But those fries, <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, there I get an amen. That's all right. That's good. Um, and so one day, I was, I was, my brother and my dad came home. And my brother was carrying one of those child-size 
McDonald's cups that was half full of that orange high C drink. And he was happy as a clam drinking that drink. And I saw it. And I knew. My brother had gone to McDonald's. My father had gone to McDonald's. The two of them went to McDonald's without me. This was unfair. This was not right. And I made a stink about it. I ruined like the next two days of our family's life because I was so upset about the fact that my brother got to go to McDonald's and I did not. And this, like, I regret this now. Even to this day, I didn't have the wherewithal to think this when I was a kid. I wasn't stepping on the fact that, that my brother got something that I didn't in terms of time with my father where he got to talk to my dad one-on-one. It was time where he got to eat a cheeseburger. That's what I was having the problem with. It was so wrong. But eventually, just to kind of like help my father to kind of help us get along in peace, he took me to McDonald's. And I sat there happily eating that happy meal. But I didn't really enjoy the time with my dad. I missed it. I missed it completely. Each person in my family ceased to be a son or a brother a parent or a child, and became a referee, a persecuting attorney, prosecuting attorney, and a defendant. I'm not convinced that God calls our lives to be equal or fair. I think he calls us to something more, to live in love with him. And these two stories help us grasp the meaning of the two greatest commands, what it means to love God and love others. Sabbath was a way to spend time with your dad. To remember service to your neighbor is better, a better note in the song of our lives than piety to rules. We're doing something here at Highland uh, during this sermon series. And if you're a guest here today, we'd love for you to participate with us. If you have your bulletin, go ahead and pull it out. On the front, you'll see this little spot where you can put your name and your email address. We'd like you to do that. And then turn over the bulletin to the back, and you're going to notice that there's three spiritual disciplines that you can engage in this week. This is a way for you to put yourself in the posture where God can work on you and change you and and do something new in your life. And so if you're interested in something like that, what we'd ask you to do is, is check those boxes. You can check one or two or all three of those boxes. The last one has to do with our... um, our food offering, annual food offering, that's going to happen November 3rd. If you'd like to pick up those bags, you can find them in the various atriums on the way out. You just grab those bags, fill it up full with the list that's on the outside, bring it back on November 3rd. Uh, we use that food to uh, stock our pantry uh, so that we can feed people uh, throughout this winter. It's a very important thing we do as a community. Consider doing some spiritual disciplines this week. What you would do is tear this off and you can put it in little baskets. Uh, around the room. Uh, Would you please stand for our benediction? This week I pray that you experience in your life the God of Sabbath who gives you rest, who gives you play, who gives you time to build relationships with one another. And may you experience this week the God of wisdom, who teaches us how to navigate complex questions and deep issues, how to learn to strive for what it means to love Jesus to everyone that we meet. 
And may the Spirit of God give you courage. May you go in peace.